0: All right, we're recording. Well, Dr. Spanger, uh, in our our quest to figure out what's wrong with our republic, or... uh, We're getting any closer to the end. Yeah, getting, yeah, yeah. Uh, Or what was our republic? I think that's probably a better way to get at it. Um, Last time we talked a little bit about liberalism and and the tradition of liberalism and the nebulous nature of trying to define it. Uh, but, you know, in sort of yin and yang fashion, right? Now we need yeah. to define conservatism. What is that? And I think in our, in our conversation with liberalism, we, we came out with that some of the liberalism we're seeing today or what is defined as progressive or liberalism uh, is somewhat dissimilar from the liberalism that founded the republic uh and maybe more in line with the liberalism that founded the french republics Yeah, <laughs> well, Republic. whatever they're up to now five, 5. 0, six point yeah. yeah and um and then so the next question was, what is conservatism i think we had a lot of trouble trying to define what liberalism is and so and, and you threw that at me so <laughs> i'm going to return the favor and say uh, you know what's a conservative what is conservatism
1: only, only good friends uh, would return a favor for a favor, Mark. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Especially like that. <laughs>
1: yeah. 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 Taking a time. Well, I did it to you first, so touche. Um, yeah, that's good. And I thought after our conversation last time, Mark, maybe maybe this helps just to clear the air a little on it. I don't. I was thinking in terms of of dimensions that liberal. You know, if you think like you mentioned in the 18th century, liberalism that this country was founded on. Uh, you know, as contrasted with monarchy, you might say on on a continuum, one side, it's monarchy where everyone lives for the sake of the king. Lowercase L, liberalism means everyone lives for the sake of the individual in society. And that doesn't mean you're right or left or liberal or conservative, actually. So lowercase L works as as the new modern movement. Every society is a liberal movement. And in one sense, liberals and conservatives are both liberal in that regard. They're both fighting for the individual, individual's place and meaning in society. But that in classical liberalism, now you have two sides, the liberal capital L, which we had a chance to talk about last time, and the conservative, which is difficult because I think you already mentioned that it really is contextualized. Right, A conservative during the French Revolution, like Edmund Burke, is different than Russell Kirk, let's say, in the FDR years. Um, yeah. And uh, what you would even think of Eisenhower if you called him a conservative. Well, um,
0: in fact, this, the people around him didn't think he was. Right, right. We yeah. look
1: back now and think he was the architect, like Warren G. Harding or Sam, or you know, Right, Kool. right, right. Which they didn't even use the term then to mean that. So,
0: meanwhile, William F. Buckley with his poison pen is,
1: you know, right. angered Eisenhower. Right. Right, right. So, to call conservative, I think to, to, to gather all those movements into one is difficult. It typically comes back to, I think, somewhere around the Spanish Civil War, where there was a right and left distinction left as communist and right as nationalist or something like that. But I think if we were to paint on maybe a little bit broader about what conservative is, we could say that for a conservative, in general, generally speaking, the Republic as a society not being monarchical on one side, there's no monarchy. On the other side is not um, open-ended, right? You can't just do everything for the individual you want. You can't, and this was tried in 1848 in France um, under Joseph Proudhon's, uh you know, provisional government, give everyone free income, take care of everyone. That would be a capital L liberal way of handling the situation. But a, a conservative believes, I think, roughly speaking, that society or republic sort of rests on a certain framework. There's got to be a certain amount of law, a certain amount of freedom. We don't know exactly what it is, I'd say if conservative were speaking, um, but some balance of that, morality, personal virtue, hard work, laws. So some balance of all those makes the republic work. And if this gets too out of balance, let's say the laws become too stringent on the one hand, or individuals start running amok with no law. Um, and so people are allowed to be vicious and mean, and there's no consequences for it. Or or let's say that the government starts intervening in people's economic lives and stops the balance of hard work and income, all of these structures, that the republic is very delicate. And it's got to get all of these things just right. And if it goes too far one side of the other, then this whole Jenga, you know, sort of tower collapses in rubble. So conservatives from the French revolution forward would identify Rome, right, as the example of a This fantastic empire was balancing liberty and the Republic and the Senate and military, and then it got out of whack and the whole thing collapsed. So I think there's this understanding in the conservative mind that the Republic is just a delicate thing and traditions are part of that. Whether you like them or not, they're what holds the whole thing together. Some of them, we don't know which ones, but we know that there are some of them. Um, And so a Republic can't just let go all of those things and do something entirely new. So I'll give you an example, which is true both in the French Revolution, Russian Revolution, and the modern, is that on the liberal side, call it progressive, in order to evolve, you know, because that's how society is going, you need to break everything, break traditions, you know, break norms, so that you can, if you can't break those, you won't move on. For a conservative, the family is the traditional architecture of a free society. You may not like it, you may not like the genderization of it, you may not like the discipline of children, but it's just necessary. So if you break the family, then the republic is eventually going to implode and become destabilized and fall apart. Um, so so moral issues seem really, really important to a conservative, you know, mon- monogamy and sexual self-control and homosexuality, because the norms of a traditional society are important. Where I think for the liberal is progressive. You need to break the things that are happening now, or else will never evolve. And so you got to break standard morals and stand nothing. So I don't know if that gets at all conservative, but it's my most generalized approach.
0: No, I, I think that as as I think of the term as well, I think uh, a synonym or a word you could kind of tuck underneath of conservatism uh, is traditionalism, right? There's yeah, a sense yeah. that Traditions matter. Yeah, and and it's it's more of a a, a tried and true. Like we know what's worked, and I, and I think a conservative can be progressive. They can desire to change the system, but they're going to move in much more incremental, gradual ways while still trying to hold on to the traditions where I think you're right. I think when you go, say, the extreme to the French Revolution left Mm. liberal is right. You just burn everything down and we start over. And, and, And so... The, the other piece, too, I think, and in, in, we talked about this before we came online, whether you're defining a conservative or you're defining liberal or you're defining the word progressive or regressive, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it really does come down to from which horizon are you uh, evaluating this? And so, you know, someone can look at uh, Edmund Burke, from the point of the vantage point of the French Revolution, and he looks like a conservative, and, and, and of course becomes the darling of, of, of conservativism uh, in the 19th and 20th centuries. But on the other hand, uh, he he supports the Americans in their dispute against the king. And so someone could look at that and say, well, that's rather progressive and and, and, and liberal. And, and how do you hold those two things in tension? And uh, some historians have gone so far as to say there were two <laughs> Uh Other people try to synthesize it and say, actually, it's the same set of principles. Uh, rather, he's, he's being consistent with his principles and he sees the, the, the monarchy and in some cases parliament overstepping those principles and how they're addressing America. On the other hand, he sees the French overstepping his principles in other ways. Right. And so in that regard, it, it it really depends on the horizon from which you look at.
1: It. Yeah, I think that's good. And that's why I typically don't like the words liberal and conservative, because in a sense, the, the conservative believes he's very much about liberty. He, he believes that he's advancing the most free possible society um, by balancing the needs of the individual against these traditions. And in fact, the traditions, whether you say free market or traditional morality, are the best things for human flourishing. And that's the most freeing thing. So to say conservative really puts... Uh, an angle on it or a spin on it to say all they care about is not change and i think that you're you're right about that I, one of the things that i found in my own studies about the early republic is the people we consider most conservative were the most radical in one sense they were the ones that wanted more freedom they were trying to reform morality not to constrain people's happiness or make sure they didn't do anything fun but they believed you can't flourish if you're drunk and and you're not going to have a good life if you got an std so and, I, and i'd say probably the the idea that it helps explain guy like Evan Burke is the idea that there is this natural law framework and the natural law provides certain barriers to what you can and can't do. You, know, you, you, yeah. you, can, you can jump off a building because you'd rather fly and it's great. I'd love the idea of flying, but you're not going to. So we got to balance human ambition against what nature will allow us to do. And so once you go to monarchy, you've gone too far. Nature won't allow that. It, it's going to end up ruining the economy and society because people won't want to be virtuous anymore they're just afraid of the king but natural law also doesn't allow you to simply get rid of law or to break families apart or or you know um simply make everybody have the same economic you know or
0: even redefine the family unit right based Based on based on an abstract concept virtue versus Traditions that have carried on for generations.
1: Yeah, and so you could call physics a tradition. Sure. Sure. Sure Gravity's a tradition It just doesn't fail. And so the tradition of the family, you, you know, from a liberal perspective capital L you'd say well That's just you holding on to an old patriarchal arrangement that conservative right. says I'm holding on to gravity, too I don't see you upset about that, right? So yeah, well yeah. So that framework then is it means you want to conserve something yeah. Um but but I think even that's but again the term becomes problematic because ultimately what I think the Conservative is holding on to is the fact that the Republic is not a normal thing in history. It's a very rare balance of all sorts of things holding on, you know, over this one fulcrum, <laughs> balancing all of this very carefully. Um and so should you upend it by let's change in the cultural makeup of the country or by, you know, opening immorality and, and sort of defending it, or upending, say, the natural law of economics, supply and demand. Right. Any of these natural things you upend, you're going to collapse this whole darn experiment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you're
1: going to lose the good stuff. Yeah. Maybe you'll get something good out of it, but you're going to destroy the
0: whole thing in the process. And again, it's like you said, you're, you're, you're taking out all the rivets while the ship is afloat. And, and I think you're right. I think particularly early on, uh, we talk about early conservatism, going back to, uh, Burke and the American revolution and some of the Tories, uh, and even some of the Whigs. And then, of course, in America, you, you have conservatism in the antebellum period. You have a Northern Whiggish conservatism, which a lot of evangelical Christians, but then you also have a, a Southern version of conservatism, which wants to hold on to the plantation society and, and that type of thing. And because of the, that's again, it's the traditions and it's the. So there you have a case where Northern. Uh, uh, in many ways, the gentlemen we wrote about, Albert Barnes and Beecher, they're conservative compared to uh, yeah. compared to uh, um, William Lloyd Garrison. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they're, they're they're you know they're, they're they're blasphemous liberals compared to Dabney and Thornwell yeah. in in, yeah. in South Carolina and in, in Virginia. Uh, so it, it's it, it's very it, it it's fluid. It depends on from from where you see it. Yeah, that's a great point, Mark, because I think that
1: you're right. If I were to, if I were to, the way you're talking, and I think is, is helpful because the, depends on where you're looking at the natural law, let's say from a conservative perspective of what's being attacked. This is why, you know, capitalism in the, in the 19th century has both a Darwinian aspect, very progressive, and at one time a very conservative aspect. So social Darwinism, people usually call conservative because it wanted to keep economic things. It wanted to keep the rich, rich, and the poor, poor. But from one angle, a lot of conservatives didn't like social Darwinism because it was talking about a progressivism that was going to eventually do away with the traditional conventions of, of, of normal society. So I, I think you're right. It depends on the perspective we look at and the framework or the era in which someone who would be self-proclaimed conservative was functioning. Yeah. They see the threat coming from a certain angle. Maybe it's an economic, maybe it's a moral, maybe right. it's a political. Um, so it's hard to put like a, a Russell Kirk together with a, with a Burke, Um, But at the same time, I think if you if you stand back, you see them both holding to a general perspective that's the same.
0: So let's let's do this then. Let's try to better understand where conservatism is today. Mm. And and I think to do that, uh, we really need to look at the 1950s and particularly the 1960s, where these terms liberal and conservative really start to galvanize groups. Right. Um, And and you teach a class on the 1960s. I uh, grew up there in upstate New York, probably around the corner from Woodstock. So, yeah, sure. uh, you know, um, got to get back to the garden. And <laughs> so let's talk about this. I mean, how did the 1960s really, one, galvanize this concept of conservative in America, and on the other hand, uh, galvanize the concept of progressive liberal? And, and in many ways today, you and I've had this conversation a number of times what we're seeing today, fifty odd years later, in some cases, is the fruit yeah, that's right. of debates that were happening during the DNC and RNC in 1968, before we were even born. Right. Um, so let, let's get into that a little bit about how conservatism really started to evolve and develop in that time period. Yeah, that's good. I think I think, um, I think if, yeah, yeah, conservatism
1: really makes its modern appearance, I think, in the 1937 court packing case by FDR, where the first response to FDR is like, wait a minute, I think you're pushing so far left. And it was starting to get conjoined with ideas like socialism, because of course, 37, 36, Spanish Civil War, Mm -hmm. any idea that the government was making an overreach started to sound like these European concepts like communism or socialism. And so whether as electoral politics to win the election, You know, remember the Red Scare in the 1920s was to associate FDR with something called leftism or communism socialism. And so the response to that was to be on the right side, which was a bit unfortunate. Since the Spanish Civil War, the rightism was nationalism and Mm -hmm. the left was communism, which we think is already probably a bad comparison, but nonetheless, there it is. So conservatives start to sort of enunciate, articulate this response to government control, government run, where the government overstretched. And and F.A. Hayek was probably eventually the best, um, I think, you know, um, theorist for this, this road to serfdom, that whenever the government steps out and tries to make things right for people, it upends the natural balance between owner and labor and private property, this delicate balance that makes an economy grow, it now thwarts that balance, and then unwittingly means well, but then creates an economy that collapses into, you know, lack of labor, governmental control, stifling creativity, and you know, all of you sort
0: know, of, the, of the, the juxtaposition talks. between Adam Smith and Kinsey.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think I think that's where where Kinsey and Hayek become very much, um, or not, um, not not Kinsey. Sorry, did, did I say that? You did. Keynes. Keynes. Yeah, Keynes and Hayek. And Keynes has that idea that no, you know, government government involvement and control currency and control debt primarily, right, can actually. Yeah. But I think from the the conservative then says, but that's now meddling in natural balance of the economy, you know, which is only right. And, I, and so I think World War II galvanizes that in the American mind. The conservative movement is remember. I mean, if you think most voters were Democratic up until 1952, right? I mean, you know, because FDR saved us from the Great Depression with the argument. And so and so it, that idea of conservatism didn't really gain traction until after World War II, when that was seen as the American way we drove, we were driven into the world to save the natural law from tyrants and democracy right right but, but it gets a further further definition in 68 and you've mentioned this a couple times not only in the conventions but in the response to the conventions yeah. and specifically um the relationship between um uh in the famous debate during the uh, during the... Vidal
0: and William F Buckley yeah Buckley
1: so I, let
0: me ask you because I,
1: I think for you that was very formative for these two movements in their modern in their modern, um, you know, by their modern definitions and their modern types. So, what what
0: comes out of that 68 convention yeah. that so galvanizes this for us? Well, I think I I, I I go back to that documentary if I can plug it, The Best of Enemies, uh, which highlights the debates in the RNC and the DNC between William F. Buckley, who was then editor of the National Review. Uh, and Gore Vidal, uh, who is um, very progressive uh, at the time, I think, he oh, came out. Yeah, uh, in <laughs> fact, that comes out in the debates uh, in very negative <laughs> ways. <how> <laughs> and end as I remember, <laughs> and exactly, uh, in yeah. using uh, uh, not so flattering terms. Uh, he also uh, at the time was uh, had written a movie with Rocco Welsh about a transgendered one person. Uh, so, you know, he's very progressive in this way, living in some mountaintop in Paris and thought thought leader of the left, uh, ran for office himself a couple of times or at least once. Um, but in this debate, you can really just see that what I would say is someone who's lived my life between those debates and now yeah. uh, the fissure that we see today between what we'll call Progressive liberals and conservatives, and we've qualified that term. I think you can start to see the fissure was beginning there, you know, and it probably, it probably was. It, you could see in '68. You watch those debates, and you see how those two men um, do just exactly what you're saying, right? Gorbachev wants to get rid of tradition and wants to burn some traditions down. Where William F. Buckley is, a, you know, comes from a millionaire Catholic family, uh, wants to hold on to those uh, traditions, and and you can just see the fireworks that develop. and And while they're having those conversations, uh, particularly the DNC, because they're having these conversations in Chicago, you know, Chicago's on fire. Right. During the convention at that time, for riots and. And so you can really just see, and of course, it's 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 out of that election that even uh, Richard Nixon will set set himself up as the law and order president. That's right. um, Which is language we're hearing again today. Um, So it's it's we're not that even though it's been 50 years, I don't think we're that far removed. Uh, I think the other thing about the late 60s that create probably creates the categories, Dan, is that. prior to, say, the early 70s, uh, a conservative might vote Democrat or Republican, depending. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, particularly if you're from the South, right? There were the Dixiecrats. Right. But once, once Roe versus Wade gets involved in this, and once that becomes a, an issue that particularly conservatives who want to conserve a certain way, and, 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 and the Republican Party, uh latch on you know kind of create a, a relationship together over that issue mm. all of a sudden what it means to be conservative and liberal is in many ways defined around sexual concerns Yeah. Uh, which is is no better uh, uh scene than when you look at someone like Gore Vidal yeah that's right um so yeah I I just can't get away from that that that's such a pivotal point um, for how these terms get developed. So it's almost like if you, you line up, either you're going to line up behind William F. Buckley, or you're going to line up line up behind Gore Vidal, and that'll determine whether you're a conservative or a liberal.
1: It's a very, you're right, it's very predictive. It's a great moment, I think. It really it really catalyzes the changes that were going on intellectually, and it sort of forced everybody into one or two streams. And I think what probably makes that moment even more important um, or poignant for us is how each side through those debates came to see the opposite side.
0: Very yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting in that that Buckley is not taken to be someone who wants to conserve moral values. He tries to make that argument, but of course Gore Vidal really wants to make him out to be a Hitler part two.
0: Yes. yes. And
1: similarly, you know, you know, Buckley doesn't see Vidal as someone who's trying to push boundaries. He sees him as a communist. Right. And I and I, I think this is one thing that where a historian can be helpful here is that our our ability to define left and right our ability, the way that we look at left and right has been formed by a historical moment. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be that the Spanish civil war was the one that set our two poles. If you're from, from the right's perspective, if you're a leftist at all, you're probably a Marxist, Leninist, Stalinist, Maoist. And if I'm, on the, if I'm on the left, if you're on the right, you probably are going to be a Hitler no matter what you're saying. Yeah. So we're, we're really stuck on a continuum between these two when from a perspective of a conservative, that's not true. And from a perspective of a liberal, that's not true. But the 20th century, I think, has really pegged us. So if anything defines it, right, you're right, that moment is so instructive.
0: And, and, and I think also too, is yeah, that, for the way we define each other. That moment's also going on during the Vietnam War, right. it's going on during the Cold War. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's about 20 odd years after the defeat of the Nazis, the right, uh, which probably it's not fair to call Nazis the right anyway, they no. had a socialized government or economy. It's, it's totally inaccurate. Uh, but, uh, but on the other hand, Anything that even you know—it's what was the expression back then? Better dead than red. It's anything that smells red, uh, communist is is verboten. And, And what's fascinating too is in those debates, you start to see that to be economically considered a communist, you get the 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 changes in morality get connected with that. So, you know, if you're pro-LGBT, well, at that time, just LNG, you're a, a socialist, you're a communist. If you're okay. a feminist, you're a communist. You know, if you're protesting on the college campuses, you're a communist. And and so you, you, there's probably no show that, that gets at this through comedy any better than the sitcom MASH,
1: especially yeah, the true.
0: first couple of yeah. seasons. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, yeah. they really, you kind of, you know, the Frank Burns character is, the, is, is a McCarthyite. <laughs> Right and and, and and Alan Alda is this good East Coast liberal, right? Uh, and and you see that juxtaposition, and you can you know where the writers live, right? The writers definitely favor the left because okay. Frank Burns is always the foil, right? Um, and so yeah, it's it's so you and so and we got to remember that show that movie, the movie Nash comes out, I think nineteen seventy.
1: Yeah, right around
0: there, and then, and then the TV show comes out a couple of years later, so it's it's right on the on the heels of Vietnam. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so the sixties definitely seem to be this because today I think we're in this intractable war between what we're calling right and left. Yeah, that's right. But the the antecedents have to go back to the post World War II era.
1: No, I think that's right, and what. Well, you're right. We we don't even realize like when we say, well, there was a left takeover of the universities, which comes, you know, Robert was it Doidesky um long march through the institutions that had the German socialist youth movement. Um, but 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 that that actually was a reaction from the 1950s when students were were forcing faculty to sign loyalty pledges. You know, that's where that's where um, um, Buckley actually gets a start is on the university campus. You know, Godman Yale. Yeah. Man, Yale when he's pushing for loyalty pledges so you had faculty fired in the 1950s for not signing loyalty pledges and then they saw that as a as a step in the in the direction of taking away free speech and opportunity so they pushed left yep and i mean that wasn't the only reason why they did but so it it's been this it's been this rather unimaginative to me tension taking every issue in the country and boiling it down to a, a very flat left right model and then simply pegging your your opponent as either being on the right and Hitler or on the left and communist, that has allowed us, put us in a spot now where we can have no dynamic conversations about these things. As Christians, we talk about navigating. This gets really hard. Well, like, and I didn't navigate and, when you only have one or two options. I'm either Hitler or Stalin. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. Yeah, I don't want to be Hitler or Stalin. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And, and, and I love Bonhoeffer, but I'm not looking forward to being martyred either. Right. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know it's, it's, it, 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 it's interesting, Dan, my, um, I, you know, it, it, you know, Paul in, 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 the, in, the, in the epistles talks about, you know, he's the Jew of Jews, you know, he lists all okay. his qualifications, you know, like I, I grew up in sort of the fundamentalist Republican version of that, you know, like, you know, it, Reagan was a God and, 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 uh, you know, we didn't smoke, drink or chew or date girls who do fundamentalist that marriage was there. But it was always interesting to talk to my grandfather, who was a kid during the Depression. Uh, Because he always, I I can't tell you how many times that guy would say to me, you know, Mark, that FDR was a good man. Mm -hmm. That FDR was a good man. I mean, he really helped our country and saved our country. Like, uh, if I had a dollar for every time my grandfather said that to me. And today we now live in a time period where if you are a conservative Christian, it, it, you, you know, you're afraid your tongue could come out of its roller if you dare compliment a Democrat
1: yeah.
0: uh, and, and vice versa, yeah. right? But because my grandfather was not catechized that same way, yeah. uh, where you know he saw someone like FDR before he, he came of age, he was in college before World War II. So he came of age when that, that bifurcation wasn't in place.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so he had a different approach to it. I never forgot that because yep. he yep. had one view, but other relatives in my family who were, who hadn't had that same experience were very much in the bifurcated, you know, the only time they probably ever voted Democrat in their life was when Jimmy Carter said he was a born again Christian. And they haven't done it again since. <laughs> um, and so... Um, but I, that's a great example of where, since we've moved into this this polarization, I, I, that's where I like that 68 is seeing things starting to polarize. Yeah, and I think that's important. I think did you and I have talked about the 1960 election
1: a little bit, and Kennedy was really a centrist and
0: yeah. probably more
1: conservative by today's standards. But then again, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party were not ideologically centered as much as they were. You know larger coalitions of elected officials and so yeah they they really overlap but 64 and i think that the development of lyndon johnson's great society and the public reaction to vietnam was driving american society to start taking ideological sides which by 68 had become a reality and i i think this is where and i think there's more to this i was talking with a friend recently who's a police officer and he's saying i i don't want to be as a christian reactionary right because i realize that conservatism is not christianity but there's something at the fundamental root of liberalism, you know, uh, uppercase L that scares me as a Christian, even though I think there's a lot of good people in it. And, I, and I, I think, I thought that was a fair comment that we can't equivocate that, you know, just because the continuum is too simplistic, doesn't mean that all sides are equally the same either. And I think where liberals are very good on issues like poverty, um, at the same time, at the root of that whole political worldview, is a, a tendency towards an evolutionary model which can be destructive to traditional things of Christianity, because no matter how progressive you'd like to become, Christianity is going to say, on certain matters, you can't be. Or on certain matters, you have to be ultimately, ultimately conservative. But then at the same time, conservatism has a tendency to not embrace certain openness, and Paul and the scriptures are very, very liberal at certain points. They're very open about you know, who, who is in the church and who's out of the church. It's, it's almost crazily radical to say it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, male or female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. So, so it's not, I I think we have to do be careful too, that just because both sides have sort of gone off or overly simplified doesn't mean they're both equally right or equally wrong. There's at the fundamental root, I think as a framework, as a Christian, you've got to navigate very cautiously. If you're going to embrace some liberal ideas, that's good but you can't embrace the root that says ultimately society has to evolve to become better because as a Christian, there's some things I will not evolve on.
0: Yeah. And so here, here's a question too, Dan, and see what you think of this. I wonder if the problem became say from 68 to 2002 or 2020 conservative and liberal became these terms that were defined, not necessarily by everything you're for, but what you're not. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the not is always the negative aspects or mm-hmm. what you appear to, what you think is the, are the negative aspects of your, that movement. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the, other, the other thing I, I, I wrestle with and I wonder, too, is there something, uh, if you're a conservative Christian, because there's another narrative that the church historians got to help us with. Uh, is that while some of this is going on, American evangelicalism is also going through its own evolution at this yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, from the 1920s into right. the 20th century, late 20th century, where they're re-engaging in politics, and in, from the conservative side, in many cases, there's a, there's differences. Other guys like Ron Sider, um, but. The, the idea is, I wonder if times, if, you are, if you're theologically conservative, which means you're holding on to the traditional faith, does that make you more likely to be conservative socially and politically? Because yeah, it's yeah. the same kind of holding on to. Right. And, and, and does it become difficult when your posture is to maintain traditions, but then pivot? and say except there
1: yeah that's right
0: um because it, it, it what we see in in as a church historian what i see is liberal protestantism will kind of go by the way of gore vidal and conservative protest or conservative protestism will go the way of william f buckley yeah
1: yeah that's really important i think that we as christians get trapped in in this country in one way is that we our faith gets tied to political ideologies. And and it might just be, it might be the result of oversimplification to say that, you know, Christianity, to be a Christian, you're a conservative person in general, like you say, you hold to certain things traditionally. And that means marriage and morality. And it also means capitalist economics and, you know, private properties, other things. So maybe what's, what's happened is that the general mode of conservating values has extended to certain things that are maybe not exactly biblical. And so a conservative can be, ra- a conservative Christian, evangelical, can be rather negative about a welfare program because they've learned to combine the tradition of hard work and private property with the tradition of marriage and belief in God and, you know, traditional theology. And so I, I think you're right. There's a general conservative mode and tendency, which I think in the Western America has been opened up to expend, expand to things non-Christian. My fear the liberalism is that the sentiments there are actually very val- valuable, but that the whole structure of liberalism itself is hard to put in line with those biblical traditions. Because now you could say, well, liberalism doesn't have to be progressive, and maybe that's a, maybe that's a fair criticism. You can be liberal in the sense that you want to open up on economic measures and not include capitalism as a natural law, but at the same time, underneath that, there has to be some sort of conserving that goes on. Mm-hmm. If, if you if you don't, then ultimately the Trinity, which is where liberalism in the Protestant world falls apart, right? I mean, the Unitarians first make the liberal argument, um, Elihu Palmer um, and Charles Chauncey, Jonathan yes. Mayhew uh, in the late yes. 18th or 19th century, yeah. Theodore Parker. Theodore Parker um, and Channing, that all these guys are saying the idea of Trinity, if you believe that you're holding to irrational traditions, you're not allowing the church to grow into moral and social areas. So theology and social combining them was not necessarily a conservative approach. It's how the liberals first started. They said, you can't hold to that theology and help the poor. So if you're going to really start helping people, you need to drop those traditions altogether. And I think the reaction of fundamentalists eventually was to say, no, if you're going to hold those theological traditions, then you need to hold those social and economic traditions as well. Yes,
0: yes, yes. And and, and you can see the the juxtaposition our, our evangelical ancestors are playing in the 19th century where... In some ways, they are rather progressive right. compared to their brethren in the South, which right. is why they all split. Right. Uh, but they're also they're not hanging out in New England with the Unitarians and the Garrisonians. So they're the the evangelicals of the 19th century have to negotiate the city of man hmm. between New England and the plantation society. Yeah. Um, you, you can see that negotiation, and 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 of course we know where that negotiation ended up. It, it ended up in a war. We're
1: not negotiating. It, it,
0: well, it ended up that we needed uh, to quote Mark Noll, uh, you the, the theologians Ulysses S. Grant to Tecumseh Sherman to decide it for us. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, so it's 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 a difficult time. So let's let's kind of wrap this up with. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how what are some practical things we as Christians can do we've we've laid out you know we've described the carnage <laughs> that we're living around and living amongst uh you know the quote Francis Schaefer, how shall we now live uh in, in the carnage
1: that's a great question um probably the hardest the hardest thing because the the world the discourse world we find ourselves in doesn't allow nuance it doesn't allow sobriety It doesn't allow critical thinking allows critical emoting you you need to emote properly and i think you said it best we're defining ourselves more by what we're not these days than actually what we believe in and defining what you're not is very easy um it's very combative it's very polemical um it's very oppositional so finding what you are takes nuance and you need space and and to be able to define it in such a way that people have to ask you questions Um, And I just don't think there's space in that culture. And Christians in any age, by the way, and I don't think this is particularly new, in every age has had to hold to a gospel that doesn't define well. It doesn't defend well in the public atmosphere. Um, To say you're a Christian means I'm going to love people that are really unlovely. Um, And I'm not going to care whether they're gay or homosexual or whether they're this or that or color. It doesn't matter. I'm going to love everyone because I have to, whether I like it or not. But being a Christian also means that I'm going to hold to doctrines that sound really, really out of place in a mm-hmm. modern society. Um, and I think I think as a Christian, and I, this is the way I have it in my head, is that, that the, the world we live in is typically an audience of one sort or another, and this to your point, what context you're in. And the audience all seems to be facing one comedian. Um, and the Christian is in the crowd, but they're actually looking the wrong way. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna listen to the jokes behind my back, but I'm looking at Christ, and that makes me out of place. Not that I'm not functioning in the crowd, it's not that I'm not hearing the jokes and I'm participating where I can. But ultimately, my focus is on somebody else. And I I think in a way, the Christian has to be willing in this culture to do things the culture agrees with, whether or not we like that, or to do things our culture doesn't agree with, whether or not we like that. And I I think the reference point can't be the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, can't be the conservative. We may do things that appease appease the conservative. Wow, we love you. Okay, fine. Whether you like it or not, it's irrelevant. And I think some Christians are struggling with this because... They, wanted, they want to agree with something Trump's doing, but they don't want to be seen as pro-Trump. Well, who cares? I'm for what I believe to be right, whether Trump's for it or not. And equally, I don't. I want to be for that, but I'm afraid I'll be seen as liberal. Well, whether the liberals like it or not is not relevant. Whether I'm doing it because it's what Christ would have me do, that becomes a relevant point.
0: Um, Does that make sense, uh, uh, Dan, when we go back to our horizon analogy? Right. Look, from certain horizons... You know, from certain aspects of political conservatism, a Christian's going to look like a liberal. Yeah. From a different horizon, from a progressive, I'm going to look like a conservative. Right. So I, I'm not going to fit into the camps that Gore Vidal and v- William F. Buckley right. pioneered for us. Um, one of the, one of the things I I, I I have to remind myself with as I negotiate this is to intentionally change my horizon. So. Mm. I use the language of of kind of being in this carnage. and I think uh, particularly now with the twenty four hour news cycle and my you know if I have my cell phone set, you know i'm I'm finding out every right. that, possibly that could make me angry. Um, and, and and I have to I almost have to intentionally. Recalibrate myself to look at my world around me through the horizon of the kingdom of God. It, yeah. it's, it's 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 because if I just focus on the city of man and everything we just described, I'm absolutely devastated right. uh, by this. But if I can try to look at this through the horizon of eternity, right, uh, it, it does give me some perspective uh, that I find super helpful um in in doing in dealing with that and not to and i think that can go too far the other way where you don't engage city of man right Right, right. my grandfather would say you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good uh same guy that liked fdr um so i think changing
1: mark i don't mean to interrupt you but now uh, you're saying that do you think that that's partly what's gone wrong do you think that our tendency towards the very stringent liberal conservative sides is that we've got our horizon sort of in the wrong place I mean, if you really put the horizon in this world, or are you going to end up gravitating too strongly?
0: Yeah, I think I think that if if it's so it uh, it's so easy, particularly in America, to get caught up in politics. Yeah. it's our civil religion. Yeah, yeah. Um, you Bell. know, it's 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 uh, and, and then all of a sudden you you just see everything through that reality um and depending on what news channel you have there's your 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 uh, echo chamber and if you really have to be intentional to just to say i gotta look at this through the through the lens of scripture and through the horizon of the kingdom of god right and, and 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 try to make some sense of that and i think in doing that too dan i think this is where uh so we've talked about this my job at lbc i teach i work in the library and one of the things i've become extremely concerned about uh not just for our students but just in general uh, but particularly the church is what i call information discernment right if can we discern information and can we evaluate information through the through the via the horizon or the lens or whatever analogy you want to use of the kingdom of God versus versus how the city of man has the furniture arranged. Mm, mm. Um, and, and I think that's, you're right, we're, we're just being pulled for our allegiances. And it, it's hard. It's really hard.
1: Well, that, that to me is more concrete. And I, I think that's the takeaway line from this whole talk to me is that when you approach these things, however you approach it, and Christians, I know something I'll, I'll add to that, Marcus, Christians and good sound bible-believing christians who are who are fighting for god's kingdom we're going to disagree on some of these political matters from time to time but what defines us is that our our, our home is not here the, the right of hebrew is talking about the saints all striving for a city for which they didn't at which they did not arrive and we are equally you know striving for a city we will not see in our lifetime but but maybe that to me that's a takeaway line like if you're going to if you're going to evaluate what whether what you're doing is in line with with God and his spirit, what he's doing is, is your horizon his eternal kingdom? Is your goal yeah. for his eternal glory and the good of his church? And, and maybe once you've done that, you may decide to still be left on this issue and right on that one. Maybe, maybe yeah. two yeah. Christians doing it. And, I, and I, I think one of the hidden underlying differences here, Mark, and we don't can't explore this now, is that there's also a, a demographic pressure on us that if you're in a rural community, you're gonna start seeing things generally through a liberal lens. And so my Christian brethren and sister and that live in the city are going to probably see things a little lefter than I am. And my brethren and sister and that live in the country are probably gonna be seeing things a little more righter than I am. Yeah. Um, but I do believe when I when I you and I were talking with Tim Keller before about his more urbanized approaches, things. I believe the man loves God. And so yeah. whether I agree with him or not, I can disagree politically, but I also believe that his horizon is rightly set. And maybe that's where we how we need to navigate this. Yeah. No,
0: I I think you're right. I think the the everything we're talking about is how we are positioned in the city of man. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, do I live in the rural part of the city of man or do I live in the uh, the, the, the urban part? Uh, do I live in the white part? Do I live in the Latino part? Do I, you know, Latin where?
1: X, Latin X, Latin X yeah. yeah where uh, um,
0: and so where I grew up, where it was very segregated. So, um, so yeah, so it, it affects us. We, we always have to keep recalibrating. Now. Hmm our view and not that it's, and it, it's not easy. It doesn't, I don't think it makes it any easier. And I, I think um, there are times where I, I just, I don't generally read the end of the book. Before, I'm not one of those people that read the end of the book before yeah. the yeah. beginning, but there are times like this where I just have to go read Revelation 21 and 22 yeah. And, yeah. and 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 revel in the city of God that I'm waiting for. Yeah, uh, Because I think part of why we feel the tension and is because we know it's not the way it's supposed to be yeah that's right um, we know something's not right
1: which is a good thing as long as it doesn't build in us a political anxiety and I, I, you said earlier that it's the social media might be just exacerbating what could be smaller differences but once you're listening to conservative or liberal news all the time yeah. or social media posts that you're going to get whipped up and start to think that this political side is actually the side of the gospel And, you know, I I think you're right. We start navigating ourselves by our position in the city of man rather than asking ourselves, regardless of where in that city we are, what's my reference point to the city of God, uh, to his kingdom? And that's a, and I want to, I mean, that's a hard, I think you're right. That's a hard, hard thing to do on a daily basis to keep yourself balanced by that, which is why I think, you know, as Christians are really keen on habits, habits of scripture reading, habits of fellowship, habits of being in church and taking the sacraments and the kind of things that constantly remind us that we belong to a different kingdom, because yeah. if, if you and I who are in this all the time historically still struggle to know what a left and a right looks like and where it is and, you know, it, it, it's more difficult for those that just don't have the time and space to think through it.
0: And that's why I think we, we enjoy doing this. We realize, you know, we have the luxury of of reading yeah. about these things, studying these things, we're the oddballs that actually love this stuff. <laughs> and, and and to and for people to be able to listen to this and say, Hey, you know what? I walked away here, I think I have a better handle on this. Yeah. Uh, if you walk away with just a better handle, I think I know I feel like we've done something valuable. Yeah, no, uh, I agree. With that. And and I think the other thing too, Dan, I think with, with all of this is we really have to be aware of our posture. Um, okay. You know, it's it, it, it's 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 one thing to have the right position, and those of us that come from the out of the fundamentalist evangelical background, we fought hard for our positions. Right. right? But sometimes our posture is so off-putting. Yeah. Nobody can even hear your position. Right. Uh, and then we we kind of take that angry posture and and use it to go after each other. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not a a city of a kingdom of God perspective. That's really a city of man thing that's causing that.
1: You're right. You're right. And it's and it's the, it's the fear of losing the culture war, or the political war that actually drives us to religious war. And um, and I think that's true traditionally. Like wars, religion in the 17th century were less about religion. It was politics. But yeah. religion got caught up in the Cold War which is very much a cultural war that got religion dragged up again into it. And I think now even wars we're having over privilege and race are cultural concerns, valid and important, but now they're starting to drag religion back into it. And so the church is starting to divide. And uh, I think this is what Paul was most concerned about, was that the body of Christ not divide over political and cultural issues, that it find a way to remain unified. Because getting together on theological issues where we have a book that gives us some clarity is difficult enough. But if you want to move into areas we have tough time defining, like cultural, historical, political, social, economic, you know, the, these areas we're never going to find full agreement on. And so we're going to take the, the, the clumsiness of those environments and then use that as the measure for how we do our faith. We're, we're just going to drag what ought to be a thing of unity, which Christ's prayer in John 15 was all about, and yeah. turn it into a cause celeb for polemics, war, disagreements, internecine fighting, and, and the church splitting. I go back to CC Gowen's book broken churches broken nations phenomenal somebody. book yeah and and he's not and I, I tell you I, that book has hurt hit me ever since I read it yeah that it's the churches that first decided to break that were the culture makers that that tripped the, the, the country into civil war and and broad death rather than pulling together resetting values working this out and solving the problem
0: and, and you know let's let's let, I think this is a good maybe way to end this is that uh, and since we 're throwing out dropping titles uh, Harry stout 's book upon the altar, which was a book about the churches during the war right so gowen 's book gets us what 's going on twenty years before the war yeah. fifteen years and then and, and, and then uh, stout 's book gets us in the war and, yeah. and one of the things that that 's just kind of haunted me as a, as a scholar of the nineteenth century is is stout 's critique that many ways the clergy, the church were more cheerleaders for their cause yeah. than truly being prophetic witnesses in the middle of this. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I go back to to Frederick Douglass's statement that he's quoting Albert Barnes in his famous uh, "What is the Fourth of July?" Uh, the the Fourth of July speech he gave, of uh, and the slave and and he says, you know, the only thing that keeps slavery Alive in America is the fact that the church is complicit. They have that much power to change the zeitgeist in this yeah. in this country, and so I, I I fear that in these moments of bifurcation like this, um, it's so easy to be caught up in the wave and not kind of throw your feet down and say, wait a minute, where's this where's this wave coming from, and 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 we just become cheerleaders for whatever side we belong to in the city of man. And all of a sudden our, 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 our relationship in the kingdom of God, the eternal city. Right. Is, 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 is damaged. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It becomes so,
1: secondary or not important. And yeah. Yeah. And ultimately I think that's what Christ is saying with the vision of the church and Pharisees and Sadducees and everything else is your, your treasure is on earth. And if, if that's where it is, there's no way to avoid the kind of ugliness that'll follow from it. But if your treasure yeah. is in heaven, then there's this the spirit is always working towards the unity of, of his people. And um, I think that's, that's well said, Mark, and a, and a great corrective to how we're going through this. So what Mark and I talked about is that this has hopefully been a general look at the liberal movement, conservative movement they developed. But one of the issues that's come up very frequently in our own political and social discourse is the rise of this sort of neo-Marxist movement um, that we call critical theory, uh, new school movement, if you, if you know the Frankfurt School, New School uh, went to Columbia. If there's a there's actually a strategy to reimagine Western culture coming out of a group of thinkers um, pre and post World War II that have had a profound impact intentionally not just unintentionally but intentionally through media the arts and academics to reframe how culture works and we're seeing the we're seeing that now develop in things like uh, critical theory feminist critical theory race critical theory so we 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 feel because that's become such a such a big talking point that maybe it's a good idea to unpack what is neo-Marxism? What is critical theory? So you kind of see historically where it comes from and what its key beliefs are. Sometimes things that are not critical theory are being labeled critical theory and vice versa. So I think with our next podcast, Mark and I agree, maybe we'll, we'll tackle that subject and see if we can unpack some of that. So thanks for bringing that up, Mark.
0: Yeah, great. All right, Dan. Okay. Thank you, Mark.